You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Well, I'll just, just to set the... I'll just say what I was starting to say, which is kind of interesting that both of these, I mean, this is nothing new in science fiction. It is one of the, it, it's really one of the primary tropes in science fiction. This is the big event, and then um, uh, everything changes society. It, uh, Dale calls it the collapse. Uh, Stephen called it the change. Uh, the real, uh well, I guess not. One of the modern origins of it, of course, is nuclear war. So you have no blade of grass. You have, uh, what was the Earth of Bads? Joe, was Earth of Bads about nuclear war? No. No, well, there, was a, there was a pandemic. Pandemic. Well, that's, you did the, But yours is the pandemic, but it's really about global warming, don't you think? Yeah. And but depopulation. I, and depopulation. Put together. Right. Yeah. And then... Um, um, I, I felt like I didn't make enough of an introduction to Stevens because Stevens' book is about is really kind of uh, tinged with fantasy. In, in Ariel, the big change is where science no longer works and magic does. Isn't that fundamentally what we got? Yeah, pretty much. I tried to yeah. approach it like a set of physics has kind of replaced another set of physics. But, but right. ultimately, you know, when you're backed into the corner with realism, you just, it's bullshit and you can't explain it. You know? <laughs> well, now, but I couldn't figure out in the section that you read, which was which was from LG Beach, right? Mm-hmm. Rather than uh, it seemed to um, it didn't seem to be as much about uh, unicorns and magic as it was. Um, uh, well, you know, you had the the lizards and the gray whales and stuff. I mean, is there a different theme in this book, or I think there's a different writer in this book. I, I'm. Uh, you know, I'm less interested in magic, and I guess that maybe I shouldn't say that, but I, this book is actually very much about magic, uh, but I don't want it to be about magic. It's, it's sort of a foundation upon it when it rests, of which it rests, and, and I wanted magic to, I approach magic as it, that it, it's a kind of software. Uh, uh, it's like the operating system of the world, and you uh, can make macros out of it, and you can record these and then play them again, and they'll act upon the world, and uh, it seemed a very logical approach to magic to me because I, I don't like that that random, you know, Harry Potter's in a corner and I'll pull something out of my ass and save myself. I, mm-hmm. I just don't like that haphazard thing. But honestly, I, I'm just more interested in uh, um, blending those elements with really concrete real-world elements as best I can and in telling good stories. And I, um, I just don't like Look at my special effects. You know, I, I, I just don't feel like doing that. So that's why there weren't a lot of dragons. No, there's, you know, there's, there's a lot of, there's certainly a lot of fantasy elements. I, th- I think it's funny that I, I've been beat up, not beat up, but I've certainly had some criticisms for some fantasy elements in this. And not one person has given me grief for reinflating the Goodyear blimp and taking it over the Tahone Pass, which is bullshit. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it, research <laughs> will, will save you, you know. <laughs> All right. Well, one question, one thing that struck me about both these books, and I think about, uh, I think there's a strain that runs through every uh, dystopian sort of uh, cataclysmic post 
post-Holocaust uh, science fiction novel, when maybe in its mature form, it also takes on uh, a utopian element. I mean, there's a, it seems to me there's yeah. a large utopian mm. element in your work. And Yeah, can I speak to that Yes, a bit? please. Well, yeah. Uh, I mean, I see it as uh, a 2,500-year-old debate on the nature of human nature. Um, well, that's vague. And I'll say <laughs> a <laughs> bit more on, on that. And what condition uh, our condition on, is on, in? On the one hand, there's the, uh, uh, the Hobbesian view. Um, and nasty, they, the, British the and short. nasty, British, and short. And um, the phrase, the thin veneer of civilization, comes from Edgar Rice Burroughs. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, that's where it's been tracked down most recently. Oh. And beneath the thin veneer of, of civilization, there's this terrible brute, uh, cannibal, and we'll, so without, as Hobbes said, without an armed police force, without an armed state and a king to keep us controlled and the law, we will uh, rape and kill and eat each other. Um, and that actually makes better cinema. And there's the road. Um, and I would have to differentiate that, though, because in the road there are virtually no resources. And everybody is competing for what incredibly few resources there are. There's no government. There's nothing dyst even dystopic about it. There's no topic at all. You know, there's just stragglers in a dying world. And, and uh, um, you know, so I, I think that in a way, that's a necessity in the road, and, and um, uh, I don't think that people, I, you know, I don't know, I, I'm, uh, I, I don't, it's, it's funny because I'm quite the cynic, but I, I don't think that if you take the rules away, everybody is just suddenly a, a mercenary. I think that there's still altruism, there's still, you know, if you look at Katrina, if you look at Hurricane Andrew, if you look at what Absolutely. happens in, in zones like that. that. Absolutely, that's what I'm saying. And uh, oh, I, I'm, I, I totally uh, misunderstood you, I'm sorry. You got Lord of the Flies. Lord of the Flies. Lord yeah, of the, the look, and look, Lord of the Flies is still being taught in high schools. The state has a vested interest to maintain everybody in fear that we need authority. You so they still teach the Lord of the Flies. They do not uh, say Ursula Le Guin's The Dispossessed is not on the list of approved books. Um, do you think that's what Lord of the Flies is about? Because that my my take on it is very different from that. <laughs> no, that see <laughs> see uh, see they're they're really. Um, I uh, think they really gotta, turn into awful animals. And then the, the naval ship appears offshore and everything's okay. I think that he mm -hmm. says the tribal behavior and eventual hierarchy and organization against the outside unit is kind of the world in microcosm. You know, what happens at the end of Lord of the Flies? They're rescued by a warship. Right, that's, well, what, right, we're that's yeah. what I'm saying. But, uh, but I don't they think that it's... But for me, it's not anarchist. It's, it's very organized. They or Those kids organize. No, it's not anarchist. What I'm saying is... The anarchist model, based on anthropology, as noted by Kropotkin, is that human beings are basically cooperative. Um, Rebecca Solnit recently Solnit, wrote this wonderful Solnit. book 
uh, a paradise built in hell where she outlines that. She's actually, and she I think, also, in the Bay Area right now doing a talk or something. Yeah, yeah anyway. she's, she's got a new book out on San Francisco. And she's also got a wonderful chapter on, you know, how Hollywood in particularly likes to show the, you know, the brute out of control. And the newscasters love it. You know, when somebody, when in Katrina, when the law and order breaks down, there were collectives everywhere, spontaneous collectives, helping each other. It's not telegenic. And the newscasters, you know, gleefully play over and over the one shot of a black guy walking out with a TV set and saying, see, see. And the, I mean, the chief of police goes on and says, they're raping babies in the Superdome, which was not true. That was just all a myth. That was all, that never happened, you know. But people still think that. Right. My daughter in her English class, when she's talking about the Lord of the Flies, she's an English teacher, says, when they all go, well, see, it shows what, you know, what people are like if they're left to themselves, like what happened during Katrina. During Katrina. So, so that's you're talking about the, the way image, it's interpreted and not the really image right. that, okay. that, that sticks. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, what was, I the, what was the Mel Gibson movie where they spoke the Mayan language, the... Um, uh, Apocalypta. Apocalypse has the same ending. I always want to say Apocalypso every time we oh, okay. ship off. The, did you ever see it? No. Well, no. they're they're chased. You know, it's everything's coming to pieces, and then they look offshore, and the conquistadors have arrived. So at least there's going to be order. It's a happy ending. Is that right? I mean, yeah. God bless yeah. us, everyone. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I was just kind of. It, it seems like dystopias play better than utopias. Well, yeah. I mean, if well, you look at uh, Brave New World compared to Island, you know? What's well, utopias tend to be uh, Aldous Huxley's. Huxley's oh. utopia. I think book. that utopias tend to be, I, I hate to say this, but more didactic as well. A lot of people yeah, with an axe to grind, so this is what you ought to be like, you know? And I think that they, you know, that that's not very dramatic. <laughs> it's not <laughs> as dramatic as people with blood dripping from their fangs. Now, zombie <laughs> utopia, now you got something. Our 12-year-old boy is killing each other. That's Just named by punk really band, well. zombie yeah, utopia. Yeah, yeah. Can you hear us in the cheap seats? <laughs> but... Um, uh, 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 Dale was just telling me about, I mean, Ursula Gwynn wrote this sort of uh, uh, future utopia, sort of uh, post-technological society novel. Uh, the uh, What's the name of it? Damn, I've forgotten. Always, Always Coming Home. Always Coming Home. Always Coming Home, which Dale was saying uh, he was careful not to read because this book covered some of the, and of course everybody compares this book to Always Coming Home. She <laughs> has a great, yeah. but there's a, yeah. there's a great bay in it. An yeah. Inland Sea or something. Oh, there is a great bay in that book. I, oh, so okay. I'm told. So I, still haven't read it. <laughs> All right. Does anybody have a question or a point that they'd like to raise for these two guys? Yes, please. Well, so based on the discussion that's been going, the discussion going so far, um, is you've created a book where you've got a utopia kind of thing after disaster feel like that's the way things would actually go? Well, I think all... Can you defend your utopia? I think all of... Uh, well, I, I have, I'm not worried about the uh, utopian, the cooperative aspect. I don't think human nature is the problem. Um, but I think all apocalypses are overly optimistic. 
That is, it's um, it's a car. I want to steal that line. <laughs> what a great line that is. It's a it's a cargo cult, uh, like a crisis cult, that somehow the apocalypse will save us the way maybe the Savior coming back will save us, or 2012, or Revelations, or Mayas, or Tibetans. You know, somebody's going to come down from the sky and save us, or or it's just so hard to work with. And it seems so hopeless, and we've been losing for so long that we say to hell with it, wipe it all out and start fresh. So I succumbed. What can I say? <laughs> it's nice here. You like it. This, it's much less crowded. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's Bob Dylan's dream, right? <laughs> technological society with billions of people and all its complexity and the interwovenness and try and shoot 100, 200, 1,000 years in the future. That's a, a very complex thing, but you kill most of the people off and you flood California, then you, you've got a few villages, or if you like bring back magic and kill a lot of people off, then you've got a smaller <laughs> number of people to deal with. I think there's a wishful th thinking element to certain to most post-apocalyptic fiction. Um, I think that the the, ma the amazing power of Cormac McCarthy's *The Road* is uh, uh, that it took this long for somebody to say, "Really, you want a real apocalypse, huh?" Well, here it is, um, and there's not a there, you know there's no wishful thinking at all in there, and at least you know one can only hope. And and um, so, uh, I mean, that caused me, you know, when I wrote Ariel, I was very young, and that seemed, there was a, a, a sense of adventure to it that permeates it, that, and I don't feel that way now. I, I, uh, when I was young, the notion of a depopulated world seemed like, great, you know, I don't like most people anyway. I mean, that was kind of, you know. Um, I, I, as I wrote it, and then as I approached this, I, I just felt like this wouldn't be any fun at all, and, and I don't approach it that way. It's not like a boy's adventure story to me now. Uh, it's harsh and hard and I um, I just you know I I think the problem with a with a landscape like first of all the the urge to get rid of the civilization tends to be I mean that's biblical a clean slate start again you know next um, and then the urge to sort of moralize in that uh, uh, milieu is very easy and I personally don't want to really do that I, I and I'm not saying I'm just the storyteller I have points that I make and all that but I don't want them as an indicative of some indictment of our current world or anything like that for me. I definitely want to indict the current world. But if the collapse comes in having written a, 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 an apocalyptic book, I, I'm just hoping I won't be blamed. <laughs> <laughs> Ursula Gwynn will be blamed. <laughs> but, um, well, in, in defense of Dale's book or, or uh, uh, yeah, I would say it's a more complex society. That's one of the things I like about it. I mean, the little thing you heard is this kind of Zen fable, but I remember there's one section there where there's a war that happens. There's these people that come in and people organize against it. And I mean, things go wrong in a, it, 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 things go wrong in a million different ways. And they do defend against these bad people, but in a way the, the defense collapses, and they. Mm -hmm. there, there's a there's a lot of complexity in in um, in your post apocalypse and 
post-apocalyptic. Oh, uh, good. It's catching. Language is a say, virus. <laughs> uh, just to throw this out, I'm not a huge uh, – I like Cormac McCarthy, but uh, my friend uh, Carter Schultz, um, I'll blame this on him. He said, I think that was a Trump novel, and I do too. I don't think, it's a, I don't think it was a good book. I don't, and I, I, it Them's was, fighting words, buddy. Yeah, no, I, I thought it was, I thought it was a shabby piece of work. And, um, and, uh, Carter's, I'll blame it on Carter. He thought it was a trunk novel that the guy had pulled mm. out. And I don't mm. think it's even, um, it's the least, to me, it's the least imaginative. Because science fiction has a, of course, he's not in our genre, has a long tradition. This is, of course, I had, uh, uh, you know, everybody knows Canical for Leibowitz. And Canical for Leibowitz is, uh, in many ways, the er post-nuclear I Holocaust think I'm the novel. only person in the world who couldn't finish that book. I hate it with a passion. Wow. You I'm just like, Jesus, will you get to the point? I know you like the sound of your voice, but stop. No, I wow. think it's indulgent, overwritten, amateurish. Uh, I've never been able to finish it. And I was compared to it. So, wow. Yeah, I, wow. I, you know, yeah, I can't stand it. I couldn't stand Earth Abides either for what that's worth. Well, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's the earliest That's right. a good question, but you got to well, I mean, biographically or, or can I do that? So while I was uh, writing The Great Bay, I didn't want to read anything that was too close to what I was doing. But you I mean about water or Jack London <laughs> would be safe. And Jack London wrote The Scarlet Plague around 1905. And there's one place on the web where you can see a picture of the original cover, you know, the cover does it's great. It's just beautiful. And he had chosen the same date for the collapse that I had chosen. Of course, he was, uh, you know, 100 years before. He gave well, you're him, out of luck all the himself, time. You end up copying. He gave himself <laughs> kind, of a, kind of a, you know, big, big stretch ahead, but a pandemic. And um, there's an interesting site. Uh, it's on Wikipedia, I think, under post-apocalyptic novels or post-apocalyptic fiction, and then it divides them by type, whether the apocalypse is nuclear, whether it's pandemic, it's, it's kind of interesting. And there was some way from, from there to get to the covers of the first editions, which <laughs> well, are worth seeing. Yeah, that would be good. What, what would be your... Biographically, I, um, you know, uh, uh, Mask of the Red Death, I, I sort of think is a pandemic story that was a big oh. one for me. Mm -hmm. um, but. But, uh, yeah, I didn't read oh, okay. that. But, you see, that's why I'm uh, opposing biographically the versus historically man. because um, uh, for me, certainly, it must have been I Am Legend, which I think still holds up. Uh, that's just an incredible novel mm -hmm. um, to this day. I mean, I could read that now and just be just as engrossed mm -hmm. in it. Um, if you want the first one historically, it's 40 AD, Book of Revelation. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's a good point. Well, that's you know, or you could go back to Noah if you want, yeah. you know, which is kind of predates Revelation. Um, <laughs> That's a good, yeah, that's a good point. That's good. But I think that Flood. the Noah story and the Sodom and Gomorrah story are kind of what I mean by that whole, everything's bad, let's clean the slate and rebuild, sort of didactic, moralizing thing that, you know, I, when, I, when I say I don't want to be part of that, I, I don't have an agenda like that. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I guess uh, yeah, Noah's a goodie. Yeah, everybody wants to <laughs> wipe everything out and then start over from start over. From and then mate with their own family. I mean, where does that go? <laughs> <laughs> what was I trying to think of? Yes. 
Karen. Struck by how um, Californian the settings were, and I wonder if um, you think of yourselves as regional writers, if you think of yourselves as Western writers, if you think of yourselves as California writers, and if so, what that what that means to you? Well, I think that question would go to Dale more than because uh, Ariel was set on the East Coast, right? I can yeah. answer it simply. So, I mean, for me, I'm enormously influenced by the area in which I live. But you, to me, landscape tells story. So, it's just that simple for me. Well, that's a question I probably ask myself all the time. Oh. I, 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 let me let Dale answer your first one first because I need to think about that. <laughs> well, I. Uh, um, kind of wrote the book because I wanted to write a book about California. And I've always wanted to, uh, I don't know, the special thing about California, uh, I said somewhere, is that the wounds are so fresh, the blood is scarcely dry. And it's not so hard to see it, uh, what was here before, because it's very close to us, because we all haven't been here very long. Uh, and, you know, my father's stories of riding the red cars in Los Angeles and uh, all the farms in between what's just continuous city at this point. Uh, and you could see the mountains every day. And, uh, I don't know, reading early travel logs from the 20s of automobile trips around California, going through Cahuenga Pass and having a flat tire. And so I, I you know, I, I love the geography. I've lived all around the state and walked around different places. So that was, you know, uh, uh, one of my primary motivations. Is, you know, I wanted to write a book for this place. Well, well uh, Dale's book is definitely regional. It, but it, to me, it's regional in the way that, that uh, you, you want to pin things to, whether to a technology or, you know, you want to, the more imaginative something is, you want to pin it down more. And uh, uh, yours is, is very much pinned to certain passes and creeks and regions and plants yeah. and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and it seems to me that it comes out of the old uh, uh, the Gary Snyder water, uh, watershed stuff. Watershed, bioregionalism, yeah, that Yeah, part. that kind of stuff. But the yeah, other thing that you— I just go back to the, you know, you know California of 100 years ago. California is a Garden of Eden, a paradise to live in or to see. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it is. It's a, it's and a Calif and a, yeah, it definitely was. If you go back only 200 years or 300 years, um, the Bay Area was the most populous area in the state. And as Gary said in one of his poems, we could live here without clothes and without tools. Yeah. Well, it's funny because my, my friend Joe, who's visiting, who's... Uh, a poet from Kentucky. Joe, you were talking about um, the Kentucky and the Romantic, because uh, in a way, Kentucky was the first California. It was the first mm -hmm. place that was settled beyond the mountains, mm -hmm. and That's it nice. it looked like um, it looked like paradise. Uh, what? It was described as a paradise. Yeah. Uh -huh. Literally, I know the language. And, uh, one line uh, out of an early 
have been over plates. Right. Of course, they're really talking about the central bluegrass. Right. I can't hear you. Uh, bluegrass is what they were talking about, but that central part. Right. Belt and <clears throat> cane fields and, and big trees. Mm. And uh, it was the first west. It was the first west, and it was the first kind of Eden. But certainly California has been the main American Eden, don't you think? I mean, the, yeah. 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 That's interesting. Yes. Completely different question. I've heard this one is, is pretty much entirely harder than it's even, which is that for the change in, in Ariel and LGB, you chose to have certain physics change, um, like magic and uh, mechanical advantage and that sort of thing, um, and other things like tetanus and hot air balloons did not change. Um, you have to draw the line somewhere, and, and while there isn't a, a, you know, I mean, the, the, he even says in uh, uh, in LGB, she says, look, nuclear reactions still work. The sun is shining. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, if you get down to the subatomic level, I mean, come on, you know, I'm, I'm not ignorant about science and about physics, uh, um, and you have to... Uh, it, it's arbitrary in the sense that, yes, I do have to make decisions as to what works and what isn't. I think what's infuriating to some people is not those decisions as the seeming um, inconsistency. You know, I, I, uh, and I, but what part of magic didn't you understand? <laughs> you know, that's, that, I think, here's the deal. Nobody says, Tolkien, you asshole, how does Gandalf's magic work? You know, he waves a stick. You know, why? Because it takes place in Happy Elfie Land. I take, you know, you do it in California and people are like, what? Now they want explanations. And I think the reason is I approach fantasy like a science fiction writer. Science fiction all too often is the literature of explanation. So when I am, you know, you, like I said, there's a corner you back yourself into with impossible things. And the more reasonable you seem, the more somebody is going to want to, to push you to the very point of this must be completely this work and it doesn't isn't, you know isn't that an interesting thing the more reasonable and closer you are like that the more they say oh but this little part might not be true but they never say that about warp drive or I, know, I, I swear like this that. is a true story the last time I <laughs> the last time I pitched for television um, uh, <laughs> was uh, to Star Trek when they were in their I don't know 9,000 season uh, for the next generation and I pitched this story about um, uh, the notion that uh, RNA can replicate and actually be ingested by other things, right? So if, I, if you die, I can bury you, plant something there, it grows, I eat the apple that grows there, and I can actually ingest your memories. And they said, that's too fantasy. And I said, well, okay, first of all, flatworms do it every day. And second of all, <laughs> your ship goes faster than light once a week. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I mean, they were very nice. And I said, and I just said, no, I don't even own a television. I'm never mind, <laughs> you know. And I just kind of thanks a lot. And I, and I never pitched again, you know. But but you're absolutely right. I mean, yeah, there's a there's a certain linear curve of logic people expect that they that they don't they'll sort of forgive you for in fantasy. I think in a fairy tale sense, it's just so right. And then when you base it in the real world as much as possible and try to make it as, as concrete as you can, then people want explanations. And you try to provide enough explanation to make it cohere, but there's a point at which your, your, your back is against the wall, you know? I hope that's a satisfactory answer at all. Well, my, my question was more about the other end of things, which is that 
you know, in in the world after the change, for example, uh, gear again. I'm sorry that. It's actually yeah. It's always it's always consistent. Uh, uh, two gears won't turn. Two, two two more than two connected gears won't turn. End of story. But tetanus works exactly the way that it does in the current world. Yeah. So you made a decision to to have this change, but to not, for example, have you know as you would in in you know in, in Aboriginal society or something, uh, you know, or in a fantasy novel to have diseases caused by evil caused by malevolent spirits. To be honest. Yeah though I've never articulated this till now, but I think that this must be why, I think that if you exert those changes across the board, you're no longer writing about the real world. And I don't want to, there's already a middle, I just don't like happy elfy land. You know, I, I just, I want to write, H.G., I, I think there are two fundamental camps in science fiction, Vern and Wells, you know, and Vern ah. hated Wells. You know, he's just said, I sent to the men to the moon with, with gunpowder, show me your cavorite. And Wells's approach was, I want to put an impossible thing in the real world and see what happens. And I definitely fall into that camp if you're going to say that these are camps. You know, I, right. I, I'm interested sense. in the effect uh, uh, on people of these ideas. You, you know, that, Not um, the uh, machine itself, but the effect of it. Yeah. Don't care how the warp drive works. Just don't. You know? Just get me to the damn planet. Stop. Hit go. I'm done. Thank you. Well, that makes sense to me. I, the warp drive or the unicorn, uh, you know, all that, I don't have a problem with that. But you had the battery of a Volks, uh, Volkswagen bug in the, under the hood, and it's actually under the seat. There's no bug. Huh? I don't have a bug. Oh, I thought, I thought it was a bug when you were talking about a Volkswagen. All right, anyway. I know that. <laughs> okay. The point's good, though. <laughs> Quite right. No, you wouldn't want to have but, but a battery I, But in I'll say... Place. I did misidentify uh, the surfliners, uh, the, 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 the Coast Starliners, as surfliners and got oh. dinged for that. And you're like, oh, now there's <laughs> – but in my happy magic world, that's not true. <laughs> right? So, yeah, they're definitely – you definitely make stupid mistakes like mm. that. Yeah, absolutely, you know. Well, it was Tom Dish that – I mean, this, what you're saying, and I agree with you. That's what Dish said. All science fiction is fantasy. I mean, the, the warp drives and the whole kind of thing. But uh, this this book actually seems more science fiction, like the part that you're reading before. It's actually the what did you call it? The it's not exactly fiction. It's not the the panopticon. The panopticon. Yeah, that's great. Right. Where you're talking about the the results of the 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 water flooding and the climate and all that kind of stuff, you mm -hmm. know, which is is actually um, uh, one would say technically accurate or possible. You know. But also naturalistic. I think that's, that's what's nice. That's it, it's yeah. a phrase you probably wouldn't hear often. <laughs> it seemed to me naturalistic science fiction, mm. which I think is an admirable thing to do. Mm. God knows there's not enough science fiction that's naturalistic. <laughs> mm. Mm. Thank you. I think. <laughs> okay, it's unnaturalistic science fiction. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> Yeah, well, I didn't think of it as science fiction so much. I mean, I... How'd you win a goddamn award? And what is that? Then you got to give the award I back then. I don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know. I, I didn't think of it that way. I mean, I'm quite honored. I do have to say that one of my models was uh, Ray Bradbury, of course, a way to link stories together. Right. Because... Like with the illustrated... With the, I mean, with the Martian Chronicles? Martian Chronicles. Yeah. Yeah. To, so that there's... They're all separate short stories. The Bay is Mars. But they kind <laughs> of... Yeah, and the yeah. Bay is Mars. So yeah. 
Yeah. yeah, that was kind of the model of how I could make it work somehow. It would work, yeah. It did work, yeah. That's cool. Well, moving on, a couple of questions. Clifford Simic. City. City. We, we, uh, Joe and I went through a question. Have you tried, <laughs> when's the last time you tried to reread City? Not so long ago, actually, this year. How'd it work? Yeah, it's kind of tough. Yeah. 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 That's probably the most influential book on me. Also, it, it knocked me out. It, I read it when in my teens, and, and I reread it. You know, reread you know, it. I haven't read. I've read Simic, but I haven't read City. And it, so, but it, it has that thing of going further and further into the future. Though, though he kind of is like, uh, uh, you know, those Hawaii, Alaska saga people, where he has a family name that goes through it. You right. Know, right. For continuity. Yeah. Yeah. Still, stories, linked stories. Yeah, linked stories. Well, moving Cheers. off that. Oh, who's the, who had a hand raised? Yes. Uh, a question that I had uh, based on California and science fiction is the other California. Sounds kind of redundant to me. <laughs> <laughs> California, uh, science fiction. Fred Pohl wrote the Peace War. Uh, I think, didn't, uh, no, Fred Pohl wrote the Cool War. Sorry, my bad. Who's that to, Stephen or, or both Dale? Both I've never even given that a moment's thought, and, and I don't mm. mean that I have or haven't. I, I, I kind of don't care how anyone else handles it. For me, I need fantasy to be very reality-based. I, I find that I'm writing about impossible things, and I think that it's more believable in a sleight-of-hand way to have a unicorn standing outside a 7-Eleven full of condom wrappers and Doritos wrappers saying, well, you get the Slurpee and let's get the hell out of here. Um, uh, somehow you believe that. And in the midst of that, you also don't go, there's a talking horse in that scene, <laughs> right? So there's a certain, look over here, look over here in the concrete detail that allows me a foot in the door to shuffle some. And geography, you know, plays that role for me. Mm -hmm. um, uh, maybe it's just the sense of, um, you want to be assured the author, I, I know the Del Mar racetrack, I go by there, clearly Boyette knows it, and mm -hmm. somehow it helps to sell the rest. And, and I maybe, you know, that just seems to be my approach generally. California or not, I, uh, landscape is a really important thing to me. Well, it seems to me like science fiction certainly has a, uh, I mean, California has a science fictional element, but I'm not sure it's, I don't know. I would ask Karen that question because Karen's a California. I mean, do you think does it, I mean Kim Stanley Robinson's Gold Coast trilogy about Orange County was all was certainly California stuff. I don't know. Can you think of any? Philip K. Dick wrote about the Bay Area, but it wasn't really. That's what wasn't what made it work. Do you think there's any real California SF outside of stands? Who? Always coming home. The book that you've all avoided reading. I thought it was set in the Northwest. Yeah, it is. It's no. set in, in Napa. Oh, yeah, it's it in Napa. It feels like Napa, Sonoma. Okay. It's a fantastic book. I hope now that you've seen it, you're, you're <laughs> Now you can read I, it. <laughs> I love Ursula Le Guin, and I certainly will. As but I, I 
right after I finished. But I can, the you know, I mean, when you're writing something, you don't want to take on its flavor when it's a little too close to home, and yeah. you know, and, yeah, and I, I understand staying away from that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, quite so. Yeah, time compressed. <laughs> I do a lot of research decaying things as correctly as I can, and California is less interesting that way, you know, to decay. And, I, and, and that sounds smart-ass. I don't mean it to be. It, it, it's that, um, you know, there's a, this is going to sound odd, but a romance to a decaying, dense urban environment, that, you know, like Manhattan being, you know, the, the Irwin. But um, uh, I just had to say, I, I've written, I'm writing another uh, of these books uh, based on a character who plays a small role in it named Avi. Uh, called uh, Avalon Burning, and I just took them through Los Angeles, uh, which I'd wanted to do in this, and it would have been a digression. And I, I found it surprising that Los Angeles itself wasn't, you know, the San Fernando Valley ruined, just kind of quiet, really. <laughs> you know, it, it, it didn't, um, in a post-apocalyptic setting, I found it wasn't as interesting geographically, you know, the, 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 the ruined environment wasn't as interesting to me. Um, uh, I think because it's so sprawled, it's so suburban, and so sort of homogenous in a lot of ways. I mean, how many times do you want to describe messed up shopping malls or, you know, um, oh, look, there's another ruined Denny's. Um, uh, so for me, it's actually, they've been road movies, you know, and I, in a way, it couldn't be more Californian. All the shit takes place on, on freeways. <laughs> hmm. What? Say it loud. That's what Octavia Butler did with Parable of the Sower. She starts in a SoCal walled community and then takes it up the five. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would actually say several deeply post-apocalyptic books set in, in California. Um, I'm trying what? to remember one of our local authors who's been spoiling us for Well, Pat Murphy... Tim Powers, I know, did Dinner at Deviant's Palace. Yeah. All right. That was So Los Angeles. Okay. All right. I take back my So, thing uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Karen. <laughs> really? <laughs> Who? <laughs> Mikey Ruster did, did the Mystery House. It was always a mystery to me why it was called a mystery house, but what do I know? Well, you're right. There are California. It's more California stuff than I know about. I mean, your space opera stuff is never set on Earth, so 
Well, I mean, we're dealing with a big sea change here. People don't write science fiction about going off the Earth anymore. It all takes place on the Earth, it seems like to me. Hmm. I mean, um, hmm. you know. That's interesting. Even the... Swap places with the British. It used to be that they were writing all the, like, you know, post-apocalypse set on the Earth, John Christopher, that sort of thing. And now they're... But now they're writing space opera, and we're writing, you know, stuff set on the Earth. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Well, speaking of Neil Barrett Jr., and Rena doesn't and uh, doesn't know this, but um, I think he's going to come out here in January or February. Now, this is a um, fine author from Austin. Anyway, people who like Neil Barrett, um, I guess. One more question, um, terribly troubling one. Um, John Stewart at his rally said, "We're we're living in difficult times." I think we're always living in end times. Norman Mailer, I, I don't know why this makes me think of it, was interviewed once, and, um, or well, many times, but in this particular interview, uh, the interviewer said, what do you think is wrong with people now? What, what do you think is bothering people? And he said, I, we think that something has been taken from us that we cannot name. And I, th I thought that that was the best description of a sort of free-floating anxiety, of a constant paranoia, uh, of feeling that things are fragile, you know. And, and I think that that's sort of what this stuff is emblematic of, is as, as the, the, the social structures and technology and culture become such an enormously uh, uh, involved uh, structure and pyramid that we're losing sight of the base, that there's a sense of fragility, you know. I don't believe that it's true. I, I just don't think that the butterfly effect is going to, you know, that movie is going to happen. You know, oh, without power, we'll be like most of the human race for most of its time. Ooh. <laughs> um, but I... I um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't see these as, as, as warnings or anything for me. I, I, I don't even like to call myself a post-apocalyptic writer. I mean, this is just some of the many things I've done. But um, for me, they're just interesting. For me, I like to see what people are when, when the rules are stripped away. I'm not interested in rebuilding society. I want to know what you are when there aren't any rules. You know? And that, that seems to permeate my life. Burning Man and the old Renaissance fairs and you know, the Samuel Delaney's Dahlgren was the book that made me want to be a writer for a living. And so that just that that environment interests me. I just don't want to rebuild the world. Now I'm doing Ringworld. You know, I, just, I don't care. You're those, doing Ringworld? Those are tour bus books to me. I, I'm like, oh, look, slidewalks. Oh, look, giant. I don't care. I, I don't I don't want to build those worlds. I, I'm, I'm, I want, I'm interested in the people. I, you know, I just don't care about impressing people with super duper science technology you know well, that's you, me i'm a quirky boy dale do you think we're in interest in end time difficult, time. difficult or well, look i uh read on the way down here in the new harper's index that 40 percent of americans believe that Jesus will reappear on Earth within the next 50 years. Oh, shit. 40 years. <laughs> 40 years. <laughs> All right, anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's... Hello! Uh, uh, <laughs> that's an interesting question. Uh, it seems like an increase. But within 50... I don't know how many... The imminent return thing more started around the turn of the century, as I recall. 
there was a, a movement down in uh, Southern California, I think, and the, uh, the witnesses came out. They were some of those first ap apocalyptic groups, though Christianity is an apocalyptic religion. But anyway, I just wanted to put that out there as, as a setting for the uh, unease. I certainly don't think the uh, exponential growth can continue. I mean, there's something to Malthus, you know. Um, technology keeps finding ways to, to extend itself, but it's, all the, it's already happening. The, the number of species of uh, plants and animals that are going extinct is unprecedented. Uh, destruction of habitat is unprecedented. And sure, in our little bubble, we can, we can go on and, and live an easy, smart, good, hip life uh, for some time yet, that, that, but that's only because the rest of the world and the rest of the large mammals are getting squeezed out of it, totally out, deaded. Um, and I did a lot of reading about the uh, fall of Rome and especially the change between um, uh, Europe, Northern Europe, I mean Southern Europe, uh, between the fall of Rome and the rise of the Carolinian Empire. And there's a lot of great primary sources. So the Roman aristocrats are still in their estates, but the barbarian chieftain lives in the next estate. But, you know, he's, he's been there for a while, and there's others over here. And uh, sure, it's true that the male, uh, the male doesn't, you know, connection to Rome isn't so good anymore. It doesn't always get through, and they complain about that. But they're all still interested in writing poems in what they hear is the latest style in the capital. Wow. Uh, well, was was Karen talking about the world? Uh, are we talking about the elections or uh, global warming? <laughs> Yeah. Well, I, I would Dale. I, or I give this book a few more years to. I think I agree with Dale. I <laughs> I sort of uh, reject the ideas that uh, the human race is capable of wiping itself out or of wiping out civilization. I think that uh, there's a lot of resiliency. In oh yeah, totally. Human beings I, and, no, I don't think and, I don't think humans have have a species have any problems, but. Yeah. But the world will be a poorer place without any wild tigers in it. Oh, and or that's that to me is uh, is a done deal. We, you know, that won't turn around in time. But uh, um, but I don't know. I don't think. Also, just if I might say one other thing, I think the elections. I think that's what John Stewart was talking about, and I think they are. But I don't think they herald a new fascism. I think they herald a reaction to uh, two or three decades of 
of real success. And people are looking around and say, my God, we got a black president. We got gays walking down the street holding hands. You can't smoke in the theater anymore. What the hell's going on? You know, and they're reacting See, to all this See, it's the end stuff. times. Yeah, but it's not, you know, it's a, um, it's a reaction rather than, a, um, you know, it's not permanent. And it, and it w nor will it succeed. We'll, we'll never be able to smoke in the movie theater again. Um, it's just not going to happen. And um, we will be back in January. And uh, thank you all for this. Was uh, a couple of really interesting writers. This is what we do. This is what, uh, as science fiction people, and as uh, as the program here. I love that you and, do this. Uh, thank you so much for asking. Thanks to Indeed. Dale Indeed. and Stephen and Rena and Tachyon. And Karen, who even, it was, the whole thing was Karen's idea. Um, so, see you next year. And these guys are going to sell and sign books. Um, programs, get lobby. your programs. And uh, there's still a lot of children who need us to drink another beer. <laughs> <laughs>